0: This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, take it and turn to The book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7. Revelation, chapter 7. This whole month, we've been talking about missions at Prince, and um, we're celebrating today, really, a lot of what God is doing through missions here at Prince Avenue. In fact, uh, we're just wrapping up a whole month of displaying and declaring the gospel through a ministry that we call Prince Cares. And through the Ministry of Prince cares, there were some forty different projects that took place all through the, the month of october and it was just amazing seeing so many of you out serving people and loving people and sharing the gospel. Uh, it was truly amazing from Bogart all the way to or uh, well really Athens all the way over to Monroe. just so many places were served, and I believe that the the vision of Acts 8-8, which is our Prince Cares uh, vision, that we would see much joy come to the city. I believe that took place. I think there was just a lot of joy that came because you displayed and declared the gospel uh, to your neighbors over the last month. So let's let's keep that going. Um, one of the things that we do in Prince Cares is we partner with a ministry called The Great Exchange. And The Great Exchange is a ministry that goes on to college campuses And using a simple survey engages in gospel conversations with college students. It's a a simple nine-question survey. And it's great because it just opens so many doors and opens so many conversations. One of the questions that is on the Great Exchange survey is this. Uh, the, The question is, what do you believe is mankind's greatest problem? And I want you to be thinking about that yourself for just a moment. What is mankind's greatest problem? We, we get all kinds of answers. We get, you know, your common answers like war and crime and disease and poverty and greed and all of that kind of stuff. I've never gotten the answer that I believe, personally, is the right answer. And that is lostness. I, I believe that the greatest problem that mankind has is the problem of lostness. What do we mean when we say lostness. Well, lostness is the result of sin that separates a person from a genuine relationship with God that comes from trusting and following Jesus. In other words, to be lost means that a person is separated from God's manifest and personal presence. I want you to think about that. To be separated from God and his personal presence, that's what it means to be lost. Um, and nothing's more serious than that. In fact, Scripture gives us some really vivid illustrations to describe lostness to us. And they're found in the, uh, the 15th chapter of Luke. And Jesus gives a parable in Luke 15. And in that parable, he paints three different pictures to describe lostness. The, the picture of the lost uh, sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in each case, something or someone of incredible value is lost, and the person who lost it is doing everything that they can in their power to find it and have it restored to them. You think about it the man goes after the lost sheep and he carries it home. The woman sweeps and cleans her house until she finds that lost coin, and then, of course, the father is waiting. For his son, and when he sees his son, he runs to him and he restores that son. It's a beautiful picture of how the father feels about the lost. He cares very, very deeply about the lost. And so we need to understand, though, this idea of lostness, though, is not just, you know, mankind's greatest problem. It's also the greatest problem for those that are nearest to you. How many of you have a lost family member, even someone in your immediate family or your extended family? Every one of you should, right? All of us have people in our closest uh, spheres of influence, in our family that don't know Christ. I have very dear members of my family that are separated from God, that are lost. How, How about some of your friends? You have friends that are lost. Maybe it's a roommate Maybe it's just a next door neighbor. Maybe it's someone that you work with. Listen, we have lostness all around us and sometimes we just, we're not even aware of it. We're not even thinking about it. But it needs to grieve us. It ought to break our hearts that there are lost people all around us. But not only that, lostness is the greatest problem in the entire world. I want you to think about the world for a moment. There are some 8 billion people that call planet Earth home. 8 billion. If you saw that video that started the service, in the video it said that there are some 3.2 billion people who are unreached. That means that they have little or no access to the gospel at all. These unreached, listen, 81% of them do not know a single Christ follower. That's stunning to me that 81% of 3.2 billion people don't know a single Christian church. Listen, that needs to be unacceptable to us as individual Christ followers, and it needs to be unacceptable to us as a church. And I believe it is for many of us, In fact, you may not know this, but last year we gave $1.4 million to missions, right? That's money that goes outside the walls of this church. Doesn't pay for salaries, doesn't pay for light bills, it doesn't pay for, you know, anything else that we do here. That's money that goes outside the walls of this church. But it seems like to me that even with the amount of money that we spend on missions and even the fact that we... Take a lot of mission trips, and we do things like Prince cares i don 't know about you, but sometimes I feel like we 're losing ground. so sometimes it feels to me like lostness is really gaining ground and growing, and that the gospel is losing ground. It feels like we 're not making a lot of traction, but listen, this morning, I want to share with you some encouraging news in fact it 's really good news. First is this: we have the gospel, right? We have the solution to man's lostness. We have the solution to your family member, your neighbor, the nation's lostness. We have it. It's the person of Jesus Christ and what he came to do by giving his life as a ransom for our sin, right? We have the good news of Jesus that can reconcile sinful man to a holy God. That's good news. And that is the solution. That is the only, listen, the only solution to lostness. And we have that good news. But get this, it's not only that. We have a vision. We have a promise. That's why I asked you to go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, because in Revelation chapter 7, we have a vision where God paints a picture and he reveals to us that all peoples, right? Every nation, tribe, and tongue will be around the throne of God. So that means that lostness globally is going to be pushed back, and there will be people that are going to be reached. From all the places in the world that are still unreached, all those 3.2 billion people, all those people groups that are represented there, someone, many someones from those people groups will be reached and will come into the kingdom because of the promise that God has given us. And so this vision in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 gives us hope and encouragement. Let's listen to it. Let's read it together. John says, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This is an extraordinary scene. I mean, John is seeing this vision. Notice what he is seeing. He's seeing a crowd of people. It's a massive crowd. He's seeing all kinds of people there. It's a diverse crowd. He's seeing people clothed in radiant white robes. It is brilliant, this crowd of people. And not only that, notice what else John sees. He sees Jesus as the Lamb of God who's forgiven our sins. He is the centerpiece. He is overwhelming the crowd that's there. Not only that, John hears the roar of praise from God's people Billions upon billions of people crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the lamb. Do you get this picture? It is an extraordinary, powerful, compelling vision that God gives us. And the reason God gives us this vision, I believe, listen to me, is to encourage us and to give us hope that we will be able to accomplish the mission that he's given to us. So in spite of the fact that we see lostness all around us, so near to us and certainly around the world, there is hope, there's encouragement, there's confidence that as we go forward in the mission of God, God is going to accomplish this vision. So there's hope. So what is the hope that God gives us in the Revelation 7-9 vision? First of all, there's going to be a multitude of people there. Again, it says in verse 9, a great multitude that no one could number. Get the picture in your mind. This, this is a sea of people that is larger than your eyes can even see. Like it's, it goes beyond the horizon. It is a mass of humanity. And I know you may be like me, not a big crowd person. But can I just tell you, according to what I'm reading in God's word, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven That fires me up. That gets me excited to think that that's gonna become a reality, and it is, that there's gonna be this massive group of people in heaven. Now, there's two questions that come to my mind when I read that. One is, who are these people? The second question is, how'd they get there, right? Well, first of all, let's answer the first question. Who are these people? Well, very simply put, these are people that have chosen to trust and follow Jesus, right? They've given their lives to Jesus. Now, I know we use that language a lot as a church. In fact, that's our mission statement. We want to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. But what does that actually mean? It sounds cool. It looks good on a t-shirt. I mean, Adam looked really good in it up in the Baptist street, right? But what does it actually mean to trust and follow Jesus? Well, first of all, to trust Jesus means that you recognize your sin, that you recognize that there's nothing you can do to save yourself and you recognize that Jesus is the only one who can save you. So you look at his perfect sinless life. You look at his sacrificial death. You look at his victorious resurrection and you recognize that what Je- who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is sufficient to save you as a sinner. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. That you're not trusting in your good works, you're not trusting in some religious experience, you're not trusting in even being a good baptist. You're trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. What does it mean to follow? Well, very simply put, it means you obey him. You do what he tells you to do. You spend time with him. You, you, you obey his commands. You do the things that he's asked you to do. You love the things that he loves and you hate the things that he hates. That's who's going to be in heaven. So let me just ask you for a second. Are, are you going to be there? I, I don't want to assume, right? Right? I mean, I know that you took time to get up this morning, come to church, and you knew this was a Christian church and all those kinds of things. But I don't want to assume for a a second that every single person in this room or watching online has chosen to trust and follow Jesus. If you've not done that, can I just plead with you? Do that today. God loves you, right? He wants to forgive you. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you a brand new life, right? And if you'll trust him and follow him, he'll do just that. But that's who's in heaven. And if you want to be in heaven, that's what it's going to take for you to get there. But my second question, remember that? How did they get there? Well, very simply put, the people that get to heaven are people that have uh, trusted and followed Jesus, but someone has told them how to get there, right? They, they've been told the gospel. You say, well, how do you, how do you know that? Well, Romans chapter 10 tells us that, meaning that the way a person trusts and follows Jesus is because someone has told them the good news of the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 10 with me for just a moment. I think this is really important for us to see this. He says in chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, what what Paul is telling us here is this, is that everyone who trusts and follows Jesus is going to be saved, right? But then he goes on and he unpacks that a little bit more. Look what he says in verse 14. How then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So very plainly put, the way we see this multitude of people in heaven is people who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation because people like you and me have told them. Very simply put. In other words, every person in heaven is there because someone shared the gospel with them. I love what David Platt says in his book, Radical. He says, this, uh, every saved person, this side of heaven, owes the gospel to every lost person, this side of hell. Let me, let me say that again. Let that this kind of settle over you for a moment. Every saved person this side of heaven, that's us, owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. So this vision of multitudes of people in heaven is meant to encourage us that God is going to fulfill this vision. And it's intended to give us confidence that as we share the gospel, as we engage with the lost, as we go to the nations, God is going to fulfill his promise to us. And it's an urgent task. There's something else I notice in the text. Not only is there going to be a multitude of people there, there's going to be a multitude of peoples, peoples, plural there. In other words, there's going to be different kinds and groups of people in heaven. Notice again in verse nine of Revelation chapter seven. He says, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Notice the language, the words, every and all. Maybe just circle those words, underline those words in your Bible. Every and all. This is really compelling, this vision. Because what he's telling us here is that there is going to be every single people group, every single nation will be represented in heaven. And listen, This is a direct fulfillment of two really important passages of Scripture. The first is found in Genesis chapter 12, all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. When God calls Abraham and he gives Abraham a promise. Listen to what he says to Abraham. He said to Abraham, go from your country to your kindred and go to this land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That word families can be translated nations. All the nations, all the peoples, all the groups of people, every nation, tribe, and tongue, in essence, what God's telling Abraham, they're going to be blessed through you. Now, how's that blessing becoming a reality? Well, through the coming of Jesus, because Abraham would become the seed by which Jesus, the Messiah, would come. And for a long time, I I interpreted that text just to mean that you know Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, of the Abrahamic covenant. And in one sense, he is, but it's not just Jesus. Because Jesus came over 2,000 years ago, did he not? And yet we still see so many lost, unreached people groups around the world. So it has to mean something more than that. I believe it is the coming of Jesus and the mission of the church that we see revealed in Matthew chapter 28 when the Great Commission is given. Jesus said this, "...to his people, to his church, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age." So Jesus gave this promise to Abraham and to the church, not simply as a means to reach individual people, but groups of people. Because he he talked about families. Jesus talks about nations in Revelation 7, 9. He mentions nations again. Whenever we see that word nations in the New Testament, it's translated from the Greek word ethne or ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic from. So When we speak of nations, we're talking about distinct ethnic groups. And this is how we define them. This is a body of people united by kinship, culture, and common traditions. According to the Joshua Project, there are some 17,000 plus people groups in the world. Okay, get that. People groups, ethnic groups in the world that have a distinct culture, language, traditions. Out of those 17,000, over 7,000 of them are unreached. Back at the beginning of the month, Barry St. Clair showed us this map. I want you to see it on the screen once again. This map shows these dots are not individual people. They're not even designed to be geographical regions as much. Each dot represents a specific group of people, a people group that has a unique culture, language, and identity. See all of those red dots that stretch primarily from North Africa across the Middle East to South Asia to Southeast Asia? We call that the 1040 window, by the way. But the reality is that's where most of the 3.2 billion people that are unreached live. And every single one of those dots are groups of people that Jesus promises will be around the throne in heaven. But what this map tells me is this. There's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of work to be done. That's why we go. That's why we pray. That's why we give. And listen, our vision here is at Prince, we want to see individual people in heaven, but we want to see the nations there. We want to see the nations in heaven as well. So let me give you a third point here out of Revelation chapter 7. Not only is there a multitude of people there, a multitude of peoples there, there's going to be a multitude of joy in heaven. (laughs) This is an amazing worship service. Listen, I love worship at Prince. There are so many Sundays that, man, just God is so real and God is so present. It's like I just want to put my hands in there. I was telling the earlier service, like, you know, there's some Sundays it's like a one-hand type song, you know, one-hand service. And then there are other services, man, you got to go too. You know what I mean? It's just God is just working, and you can't can't contain it. But imagine this worship service in heaven. I mean, Jesus is the centerpiece. People are falling on their faces before the throne. There is a roar in heaven that is absolutely deafening in this particular worship service. And there's an important truth that we need to see about this when it comes to missions. For for a long time, I just kind of thought, you know, we we need to be compelled by this burden to push back darkness, to push back lostness. And we do. That's important. But it's more than that. We not only want to see people that are lost be found. We don't only want to see people that are in darkness come to the light. We don't want to just see salvation. We want to see worshipers. We want to see people who are enjoying Jesus both now and for all eternity. And that's this picture that we get in the Revelation 7-9 vision is of peoples and people worshiping Jesus and enjoying Jesus for all eternity. I, I love what Pastor John Piper says. He says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more, but worship will go on for eternity. So folks, listen, the reason we're going to get on a plane tonight and fly to Nepal is because we want to see people worship Jesus. We want to see people find their joy in Jesus now and for all eternity. That's why we do missions. And so We've got to get this. So how's this vision going to become a reality, right? You've seen the vision. We, it's pretty plainly laid out in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. But how's it going to happen, right? Is it just going to happen because God says it is, and we just kind of sit back and keep doing what we always have done? No, it's going to happen because we are engaged in the process. And so this morning, I want to do something a little different. I want to give you an update on five of Our active church planting partnerships around the world. Now listen, let me say this. Prince is involved in a lot of ministries and a lot of partnerships all over the world. So we're not going to have time to talk about all of those things. But this morning, we're going to specifically talk about five different areas where we are actively planting churches. So you ready to travel with me? Here we go. Our first stop is going to be a thousand miles north of here in the city of Boston. All right, let's go to Boston this morning. The city of Boston has 4.3 million residents. It's the fourth most unchurched city in America. Lostness is revealed in Boston in a lot of different ways. False religion there, mostly through a lack of spiritual interest. There's just not much spiritual interest in the city of Boston. Materialism and greed. I would say another way that lostness is revealed in Boston is just people have this idea that education is a means of identity and success. There are like 62 uh, universities and colleges in the city of Boston. Prince has sent out two missionaries to Boston. Jonathan and Chelsea Mosley are there and our own daughter, Lauren Pratt, is moved to Boston to be a part of the church there and to serve in that city. Um, In 2017, Prince began a partnership in Boston. And we started sending teams there. And we do like local community outreach and evangelism and things like that just to, to pave the way. And in 2018, September of 2018, a new church was planted in Mission Hill in Boston called Kings Hill Church. Mission Hill is one of the most diverse parts of Boston and home to thousands and thousands of college students. Let me tell you the story of one of those college students. In her own words. Her name is Leah. I grew up in an atheist family and moved to Boston for college in 2016. On September 1st, 2018, I was moving into a new apartment in the Mission Hill neighborhood when I was approached by a group of people wearing blue shirts, offering to help me and my roommates move into our new building. A week after my move, I had a trip planned to visit my aunt and uncle, and they took me to a worship service at their church that Sunday. Against all my expectations, God opened my eyes to the truth of who he is, The truth that Jesus is Lord and the words of scripture are true and that everything about my life would have to change because of this. She goes on to say, I was undone. As I prepared to fly back to Boston the next day, my aunt encouraged me to visit this new church in my neighborhood, the one whose selfless volunteers I told her about. Walking into a brand new church as a brand new believer was a little bit overwhelming. I didn't even know how to measure what Pastor Jonathan said against scripture. I barely knew the God that I had surrendered to. But I saw something of him in the people gathered in this high school cafeteria. So I stayed. In his immense grace, God led me to the church that would raise me. I was the first person baptized at Kings Hill, taking that step of identification with Christ on a cold January night in a horse trough. I love it. Right? This girl that just wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for her. She goes on to say, the course of my entire life has been completely altered in the best way because of the work that God has done in my life at Kings Hill. Listen, church, get this. You're seeing the vision of Revelation 7-9 fulfilled in Boston. And Prince, you're part of it. You're part of that because you've been praying, because you've been giving, because you go. You're part of that. All right, we're going to travel some more. We're going to go on a plane, and we're going to go about 4,000 miles south down to South America to the country of Peru. Peru is home to about eight million Quechua people, Quechua indigenous peoples to South America and Peru. Lostness is revealed in Peru through indigenous religions, the prosperity gospel, hopelessness and poverty. We began our partnership in 2019 and we um, began to send teams down there to help plant a church in a small town called Pitamarca. It's a community that's predominantly unchurched or Catholic. But listen, God is at work in Pitamarca. In fact, we sent a team there last July. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to have a conversation with a lady named Roberta. Roberta was from a Catholic background. She was just simply selling goods, selling food on a street corner. And we walked up to Roberta just to meet her and ask her how we could pray for her. And as we began that conversation with Roberta and prayed with her, guess what? God began to open her heart. And we, I asked her, I said, Roberta, has anyone ever shared the gospel of Jesus with you? She said, no, never. I said, do you mind if we do? And we sat there for a few minutes and just shared the gospel with Jesus. Miraculously, God opened Roberta's heart to the gospel. And with tears in her eyes, she prayed and received Christ right there on that street corner. What was so cool about that experience was later on that night, Roberta brings her daughter back to the church so that her daughter could hear the gospel as well. Listen, God is fulfilling the vision of Revelation 7-9 in Peru. And Prince, you're part of that. That's so exciting to me, so cool. All right, we're going to leave Peru and we're going to go about 4,000 miles east to Manchester, England. Manchester is the home of about 2.8 million residents. 25% of the residents of Manchester are foreign-born. Many of them are refugees and asylum seekers from North Africa and the Middle East. And lostness in Manchester is revealed in so many ways. Islam and other false religions, um, moral corruption, pride, so many different things. By God's grace, we've been able to send two missionary families to Manchester. One is our own Mary Beth Brannan. She was in the first service this morning. The other is Lucho and Lillian Sanchez. Lucho is the brother of Pastor Baca, who is our uh, Prince in Espanol, our Hispanic pastor that is meeting right now over in the tabernacle. And so through these, these individuals, they're serving and they're sharing the gospel in Manchester. We began our partnership there in 2017, and since that time, God has allowed us to start a new church fellowship called Exploring Jesus. They meet every week to study the Bible, to worship, to pray together. Get this, in Exploring Jesus, there are people from 11 different nations that are represented in this little church. Can I tell you the story of one of them? His name is Muhammad. Let me tell you Muhammad's story in his own words. I came from Iran, but I'm actually Kurdish. Throughout my whole life, I always thought that Islam was a religion of oppression because my government uses religion to control people when they do not agree. I always thought that there must be something better than Islam. My son ended up leaving for England, looking for a better future, and it was very painful to see him leave Iran. But soon after he arrived in England, he would get connected to a group of Kurdish believers at a church called Trinity Community Church in Manchester. This group had a a group of Kurds that was pastored by Pastor Lucho Sanchez. Pastor Lucho shared the gospel with him and he was baptized in 2017. And although I didn't understand what was happening with him, I started to see changes in my son. And after a while, he told me he was a Christian. And honestly, I was disappointed. And I cursed him. And I wanted to punish him because I did not want him to be a Christian. But during this time, my son began to share with me Jesus' love. And with my family, and despite my complaints about his change of religion, I could clearly understand that Jesus was not simply another religion. I love that. I eventually moved to Manchester myself, where in my new home, I started attending Bible studies where I could learn more about God. And one day, I understood I, too, wanted to believe in Jesus as my Savior, as my God. And with the help of my son and Pastor Lucho, my life began to change. I love it. And now my desire is to share with everyone about the love of God. Listen, we're seeing the vision of Revelation 7-9 become reality in Manchester through people like Muhammad coming to faith in Christ. And guess what, Prince? You're part of that. That's so awesome to me. All right, two more stops. We're going to leave... Manchester, England, we're going to travel 6,000 miles to Japan, okay? There are 2 million residents in Hiroshima, Japan. 99% of them do not know Jesus. Stop. Don't move on too quick. I want you to let that settle in over you. 99% of the population of Japan does not know Jesus. That's why we've sent two missionary families there. The, the, The OA's Uh, are serving in Tokyo. Richard Renee OA and Michael and Yumi Creed are in Hiroshima. Earlier this year, we partnered with the Creeds to plant a brand new church in this city, this city of two million people in Hiroshima, Japan. Started in March of um, this year. They're already running 50 in attendance every week. Praise God. But can I tell you the story of how God's working in Hiroshima? Her name is Yuko. Yuko started coming to Mustard Sea Church. She's 65 years old, Japanese lady. Yuko comes from a really confused religious background. A lot of people over the years have gotten involved in Yuko's life and tried to uh, lead her astray with religious philosophies and ideologies that just uh, are demonic, honestly. But some of the missionaries that were part of the Mustard Seed Church in Hiroshima started loving on Yuko. And they started inviting her into their home. And they started sharing the gospel with her. And guess what? God opened Yuko's heart to the truth of the gospel. And get this. Just last month on September 23rd, Yuko was the first person ever baptized in the Mustard uh, Seed Church in Hiroshima, Japan. Amen? Amen. That's so cool to me. 65 years old. And Michael Creed tells me, he said, there's so much joy in Yuko now because of her faith in Christ. She is being used of God. And listen, we're seeing the vision of Revelation 7 9 fulfilled in Japan. And Prince, you're part of it. Now let's go to our last stop. We're going to get on a plane and head to Nepal. Nepal. In Nepal, there are some 31 million people that live there. 95% of the people groups in Nepal are unreached, And 95%. Lostness is revealed in Nepal through Tibetan Buddhism, Hinduism, fear, and anxiety. We've sent two missionary families to Nepal, the Woodwards and the McCalmans that are living there right now. We're actually going to see them this week. We began our partnership in 2018. In 2018, we were asked to adopt an unreached people group called the Naba. We said yes, and I didn't know what all that meant, but what I found out is it just meant that, hey, you're going to pray for them. We're going, to, we're going to give resources to see them reached. And we're going to go and do whatever it takes to reach them. Okay, There are about 1,000 Naba uh, people living high in the Himalayas. They're predominantly Tibetan Buddhist. They have a lot of ancestral worship, just a lot of fear. They were very resistant to the gospel, so much so, listen, don't look at the praise team. They were so resistant to the gospel that they were actually persecuting nearby believers. At the time that we began our partnership in 2018, we knew of only one Naba believer. There was no scripture translated into the Naba language. But can I give you just a little update? There are now over 20 Naba followers of Jesus. There were four new Naba believers baptized just last month in September. There are now parts of the gospel of Luke that have been translated into the Nava language. And get this, next Sunday, the team that you're going to commission in just a little bit is going to be trekking to Redock, Nepal, where we will be dedicating the first ever Christian church among the Nava people. And that land and that building was provided by you, Prince Avenue Baptist Church. But I've got one more thing I want to tell you. We adopted this unreached people group and they truly were an unreached people group. But because of all that God has been doing over the last few years, according to our international mission board, the NAMA are no longer considered an unreached people group. They are now a reached people group for God's glory. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's incredible. We're literally seeing the Revelation 7-9 vision fulfilled before our very eyes. If that doesn't get us fired up, I don't know what else will. That is incredible to me. That is a direct fulfillment of what we see in Revelation. And guess what? We get to be a part of it. That's so amazing to me. So this morning, I think we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing together the song Worthy of It All. Because there's going to be Naba believers around the throne of Jesus. Praising his name along with us. So let's sing it. Let's sing it with all our might. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things, you deserve the glory, you're worthy, you're worthy of it all, you're worthy of it all. Oh, from you are all things and to you are all things you deserve the glory And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.